In our first two shiurim, we discussed the importance of perception and self-identity, as well as the purpose of creation, why Hashem created the world, and what the ultimate destination of Olam Haba really is. But is there any way to actually experience Olam Haba in this world? Very interestingly, the Gemara in Brachos, Nun Zayin Amabez, says that Shabbos is me'en Olam Haba. It's a, it's a taste of Olam Haba. What does that mean? Why is Shabbos connected to Olam Haba? How is Shabbos going to give you a taste of Olam Haba? But the Gemara goes on to say that Shabbos is one-sixtieth of Olam Haba. Why one-sixtieth? What is the sheer, what is the amount of one-sixtieth? What is the significance of that amount? So why is Shabbos connected to Olam Haba? And what does it mean that it's one-sixtieth of Olam Haba? So in order to understand the connection between Shabbos and Olam Haba, let's take a step back and try to understand Shabbos. What is the nature of Shabbos? What is the depth of Shabbos? So like in every year, let's start out with a bunch of questions. Number one, Shabbos seems to be so fundamental in Judaism. It seems to be one of the absolute pillars and foundations of everything. For example, Shabbos is one of the Aseris Adibros. Rashi quotes the Midrash that all 613 mitzvahs can be found rooted within the Aser Sadebros. That means that all 613 are expressions of the root Aser Sadebros. So the Aser Sadebros are the ten root foundational mitzvahs. If a mitzvah is found in the Aser Sadebros, it's absolutely fundamental. So why is Shabbos so fundamental? Also, why do we consider someone who is Shomer Torah mitzvahs to be a Shomer Shabbos Jew? The basic, basic requirement of a Shomer Torah Mitzvah Jew is someone who is Shomer Shabbos. If, Shom, if someone is not Shomer Shabbos, we don't consider him to be Shomer Torah Mitzvah. Why Shabbos? Why is that so fundamental? Also, why is the punishment, the onish, for violating Shabbos so severe? You're Chayiv Misa for violating Shabbos. And you're Chayiv Skila, which according to most, is the most severe of the Dalad Misos Mezden. So why, are we, why is Shabbos so fundamental? Why are we so extreme when it comes to Shabbos? The second question regards the very nature of Shabbos. Shabbos is a special time, it's a special zman. But usually when it comes to a special zman, there's something special that you do, that you accomplish, that you build. So for example, in Rosh Hashanah, you blow the shofar. On Sukkot, you shake Lulav and Esra, you sit in the sukkah. On Hanukkah, you light the menorah, on Purim, you give, you give Matas of Yonim, and you give Shalach Manos. On Pesach, you eat Matzos, Dalkosos, Yipisis Mitzrayim. Usually you're doing something. But on Shabbos, the very nature of Shabbos is that you stop doing everything. Shabbos is full of Isurim, the 39 Melachos, things that you're not allowed to do, things that you have to stop doing. So it's a very strange concept. But even stranger is the fact that the Ramchal and Derech Hashem explains that Shabbos is the holiest man out of all of those manim. So why is it that on Shabbos, the most Kaddish of all those manim, we stop doing everything? The very nature of Shabbos is that you stop doing malacha. The fifth question is, what is the nature of Shabbos? Is Shabbos supposed to be a day of rest? For example, it was really difficult to light fires back in the day. You had to rub two rocks against each other, and therefore you're not allowed to do anything which is stressful. That's clearly not the fact. Because you're not even allowed to write two osios, two letters. That's Mechal Shabbos. You're not allowed to stitch two stitches. That's not something which is a tircha. That's not something which is um, stressful. 
And if you take that theory that Shabbos is just a day of rest, it's not stressful at all to light a match nowadays. As a matter of fact, it's very easy to turn on fire nowadays. And it's very easy to flick a switch. And that was the mistake that the reform movement made. They said Shabbos is supposed to be a day of rest. It's a lot more restful and a lot more relaxing for us to drive to shul and for us to turn on the switch and for us to light fires. So where did they go wrong? There seems to be a truth that Shabbos is a day of rest, but it's clearly more than that because there seems to be another component which is beyond the concept of rest. So what is that component? What is Shabbos really about? To take the questions one step further, what is the nature of the 39 malachos? The Gemara says that the 39 malachos are connected to the 39 constructive acts that Klai Yisrael used to build the Mishka. And it traces those 39 acts back to the 39 ways that Klai Yisrael created the world. So what does Shabbos and the 39 malachos have to do with the Mishkan? What does Shabbos have to do with the Mishkan? And what does Shabbos and the Mishkan have to do with the creation of the world? So those are the basic questions. To split it into a few categories, we have number one, why is Shabbos connected to Ol Haba? Number two, why is Shabbos so fundamental to Jewish life? Number three, why is Shabbos all about stopping as opposed to building something? Number four, Shabbos seems to be more than just rest. But what is it? We still have to figure out what is it about Shabbos that's more than just resting. And number five, why is Shabbos connected to the Mishkan and the Beis HaMikdash, and why is it connected to the Maisebrachus, to the act of creation? So in order to understand the depth of Shabbos, we have to go back and understand the depth of Olam Haba. What is Olam Haba? Olam Haba is the result of everything you've built in this world. Olam Hazeh is a world of process and movement and becoming and growth and development. And Olam Haba is where you stop the process, you stop the growth, you stop the development, and you enjoy everything you built in this world. The enjoyment, the ecstasy of Olam Haba is everything you built, and the pain is everything you didn't. But Olam Haba is the enjoyment of everything you built. It's the cessation of movement, the cessation of process, and the enjoyment of that which you constructed yourself. What's Shabbos? Shabbos is me'in olam haba. Shabbos is a taste of olam haba. Shabbos is intimately connected with olam haba. Why? Because during the week you build, you construct, you construct yourself, you construct the world, you develop yourself, and on Shabbos you stop the creative process. Shabbos represents the cessation of creative activity. During the week you grow and you build, and on Shabbos you enjoy everything you've built. That's why Shabbos is a time where you stop the malachos. What's the root of the word melacha? Malach. Because a malach represents a creative force that emanates from HaKadosh Baruch if you're a child, you might think of a malach, you might think of an angel as a little cute baby with a halo and wings, but a malach is a deep, deep spiritual idea. A malach is a creative force sent into this world to create and to fulfill a certain purpose. The malachos represent the concept of creation, of building, of creativity. On Shabbos, you stop your creative activity. On Shabbos, you enjoy everything you built during the week. You can't build anymore on Shabbos, because Shabbos is a taste of all habits, where you stop at the creative process and you enjoy what's already been built. 
Why does the Gemara in Brachos that Nun Zayim obeys compare Shabbos to Olam Haba? Because Shabbos is a taste of Olam Haba. But let's take it a step further. Why does the Gemara say that it's only one sixtieth of Olam Haba? What do you think of when you hear the sheer, the, the amount of one sixtieth? If you're a Lamdan or you're thinking halachically, one sixtieth is what? That's right, Bittel Bishishim. Because if it's more than one sixtieth, you taste it too much. If it's less than one sixtieth, you don't taste it at all. It's not bitl. One sixtieth is the minimum shear that you just get a little bit of a taste. That's why it's not bottle. So Shabbos is where you get just a taste of Olam Haba. Just a taste. It's a taste of endpoint. It's a taste of destination. It's a taste of where a process ends and you enjoy what you built. Of course, then you go back into the week and you build some more. And then you go to another Shabbos where you enjoy what you built that week. It's a never-ending process of building and enjoying what you built. That's why the 39 Malachos are connected to the 39 acts of creation. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world and on Shabbos He stopped the creative process. One of the, the names of Hashem is Shakai. And Rashi says, back in Parshas Bereshus, that Shakai comes from the concept of Sha'amra li'olam dai. That originally the world was expanding, that Kaash Baruch said to the world, enough, stop. That he limited, he stopped the creative process. And what he created, that's what was. So on Shabbos, we enjoy what we built during the week. But nothing more, only what we built. Same concept as Olam Haba, you enjoy everything you built, but only what you built. It's also very interesting that a lot of the halachos of Shabbos are connected to the halachos of Olam Haba. So remember we gave the mashal in last year that this world is kind of like a pottery class where you're molding the clay and in Olam Haba you put it into the oven and it's, it stays exactly the way it came into the oven. You can't move it around anymore. So there's a very interesting halacha on Shabbos, that if something muksa is on a table, then if Shabbos enters and that muksa thing is on the table, the table itself becomes muksa. Of course, as long as there's nothing else you need on the table, there's a couple exceptions. But let's say the muksa thing is on the table when Shabbos begins, and then in the middle of Shabbos, the muksa thing falls off the table. Is the table still muksa? The answer is yes. But why? There's nothing moksa on the table anymore. Because when Shabbos entered, it had the status of moksa. And the status it receives when it enters Shabbos, that's the status it maintains. Just like when you enter in Lahaba, that's the status you maintain. Whatever you built in this world, you're frozen when you leave the world. So too, when something enters Shabbos, it gets a status and it maintains that status throughout Shabbos. Why is Shabbos connected to the Mishkan? Why is Shabbos connected to the Mikdash? Why are the 39 Malachos that were made to build the Mishkan the same 39 Malachos that you came to on Shabbos? So this is a very deep topic, and it requires a lot of discussion. We don't have time to go into all of the details. One small ha'ara is the fact that the Mikdash, the Mishkan, is considered to be a microcosm of the world. So the same 39 malachos that were used to create the world were used to create the Mishkan and the Mikdash and are also used to create during the week. And on Shabbos we stop that creative process. But there's another beautiful connection between Shabbos and the Beis HaMikdash and the Mishkan. The Beis HaMikdash is a Mikdash in space, in Makkah. Shabbos is a Mikdash in Zman. 
there are two basic dimensions in the physical world. Time and space. There's a third component, neshama, as the Vilna God explains. But within the physical dimension itself, there's time and space. The holiest, most kadosh makom, space in the physical world, is Eretz Yisrael. And there are ten concentric layers moving closer and closer to the holiest place in the world, which is the makom of the Beis HaMikdash, and most particularly the Kodosh HaKadosh. But the Beis HaMikdash represents the Mikdash in Makom, the holiest, most Kaddish place in the world. But as the Ramchal explains in Derech Hashem, the holiest, most Kaddish Zman is Shabbos. So the Beis HaMikdash is the Mikdash in space, and Shabbos is the Mikdash in Zman. I think now we can understand another very interesting idea. On Shabbos, in Benchim, we say, Migdo Yeshuos Malko. While during the week, we say, Magdil Yeshuos Malko. In the very, very end of Benchim, we say, Migdo Yeshuos Malko on Shabbos. So the question is, why do we say Migdal on Shabbos and Magdal during the week? So there's a lot of different answers, and some people say it really was an error, it's really a mistake. But I think based on the ideas we've been developing so far, there's a much deeper explanation. Now this idea is my own, so you can take it or leave it, but I think it actually fits in perfectly to the theme we've been trying to develop. Magdil means to enlarge, to grow, to develop. Magdil means to make bigger. Migdol means a building or a tower. During the week we say Magdil because during the week we are constructing and building. We are enlarging, we are growing, we're developing. The week represents a time of construction, of development. But on Shabbos, you stop the creative process and you get to enjoy the migdol, the tower that you've built. The enjoyment of Shabbos is the enjoyment of everything you've built during the week. So you get to enjoy the magdil, which really becomes the migdol. When you build a building, you construct it slowly. You put one brick and another brick and another brick. But at the end of the day, all of the constructive process ends off with the construction with a building, and that's your Migdol. So during the week, we say Magdil on Shabbos, we say Migdol. But there's another really amazing idea when it comes to the relationship between the building during the week and Shabbos. Which is that Shabbos only comes because of what you constructed during the week. Shabbos doesn't just come after the six days of the week. Shabbos is what you've built during the week. You enjoy on Shabbos what you built because you built it. But the construction is what creates the finished product. For example, the, the building is only there because you built it. That's why in the Torah, you can look throughout the Torah, whenever it mentions Shabbos, it always first mentions the six days of building and working during the week. Because Shabbos is what results from the constructive process during the week. It's also amazing. Shabbos is a constructed reality. Shabbos is not an actual construction of Zman. It's not an objective reality. For example, a day. A day is objective. It's the amount of time it takes for the earth to spin on its axis. A month. A month is an objective sheer zman. A month is the amount of time it takes for the moon to rotate around the earth. A year, at least a secular year, is the amount of time it takes for the earth to revolve around the sun.
But a week, what is a week? A week doesn't reflect an objective amount of time. A week doesn't reflect some celestial movement. A week is just seven days. What is a week? But the deep idea is that Hashem created within this world the ability to construct Zman, to construct time. So Shabbos represents a constructed amount of time. We create the week. The six days that we build during the week create Shabbos. Shabbos is what we constructed. There's a very interesting halacha. What if you find yourself stranded in a desert and you lose track of time? So you don't know what day of the week it is. You don't know if it's a Monday or if it's a Tuesday or if it's Shabbos. The halacha is that you start counting and you create your own weeks. What does that mean? How can you create your own week? Because Shabbos is a construction. That is the principle. Now, there are a lot of halachic restrictions in that case, but that's just the concept of week. What is a week? A week is a construction. And therefore, if you find yourself stranded in the desert somewhere, you have to now construct your own week. Objectively, there's a different week. But now, in your own subjective reality, you have to create and construct your own week. So Shabbos represents the culmination of everything you built during the week. Now, there's a very interesting question when it comes to Shabbos, and more particularly when it comes to Havdalah. Because we make Kiddush on wine for every Kadosh Zman, whenever we want to uplift the physical world, whenever we want to uplift a certain occasion, we always make Kiddush on wine. So, for example, when we want to uplift the six days of the week, of the mundane physical week, and we want to transition into Shabbos, we make Kiddush on Friday night. When we want to uplift the child, a newborn male child, we take the lowest aver and we do a bris milah. We uplift that organ and what do we do? We make kiddush on wine. When two people come together in marriage, man and woman, and they enter into a relationship which can potentially be the lowest, most animalistic relationship, we uplift that relationship with wine, with kiddush on wine. The Ramban explains that the relationship between man and woman is connected to the relationship between Hashem and Klaus, so it can be the most kaddish, kaddish relationship. But we uplift it with wine. Why wine? Why do we make Kiddush on wine? So this requires a whole other shear and what wine represents. But just very, very briefly, wine represents that which can be used inappropriately or can be used appropriately. That which you can uplift. One of the most important concepts in life is that everything is just potential. You can use it appropriately or inappropriately. Money, you can use it to support Torah. Or you can use it to do destructive things. Electricity. You can use it to light up a community. Or you can use it to electrocute someone. Good looks. Charisma. You can use it to inspire people and to do good things. Or you can use it to corrupt people. Everything is just potential. The physical world, you can use it in the most kadosh way. You can sleep and eat in order to fulfill your purpose in life, to have energy to do what you need to do. Or it can become an end in itself. And you can eat for the sake of eating and sleep for the sake of sleeping. Wine represents that which can be used so inappropriately, and you can just use your own imagination. But it's also that which can be uplifted, that which can bring you to a higher state of consciousness, which can uplift you and bring you to a higher state, a more kadosh state. And that's why wine is a very interesting topic. We really need to give a whole shear on the concept of wine. But wine is that which we use when we want to uplift the physical world. So by bris milah, by marriage, and by Shabbos, where we take that which can be mundane and physical and be used inappropriately, we uplift it and show how everything can be used properly. But the real question 
is why do we also make Kiddush on wine after Shabbos by Havdalah? It seems to not fit into this theme. We use wine and Kiddush to uplift the physical world. But by Havdalah, we're leaving that high elevated state and we're sinking back down into the physical week. So why would we make Kiddush on wine after Shabbos? It doesn't make any sense. But the beautiful idea is as follows. It represents the deep principle of Yerida L'Tzorech Aliyah. Because why are you going back down into the week? You're going back down into the week to grow. Remember, during the week you grow, you build, you develop. On Shabbos you experience everything you've built. But now, after that experience, after that inspiration of Shabbos, you now go back down into the week in order to build and grow some more. So why are you leaving that high elevated state on Shabbos? In order that you can go back down to the week to grow and develop and construct something more so that on next Shabbos, you'll be on an even higher level. It's like a spiral. You go up on Shabbos, but then you go back down so that next Shabbos is an even higher Shabbos. It's almost like at the beginning of the week you're at zero, and during the week you construct, you construct, you build to let's say one. And on Shabbos you jump up to ten. But then you come back down into the week and you're now at one again. But now you construct and construct till two. So next Shabbos, you, since you've constructed more during that week, next Shabbos is an even higher level. You jump up to eleven. And next Shabbos you jump up to twelve, then to thirteen. Obviously it's a very simple analogy, but the idea is that you're building a spiral. Every time you come back down into the physical world, every time you come back down from Shabbos, it's to construct and build so next Shabbos is on an even higher level. Next Shabbos you're even more. Next Shabbos you've developed yourself even more. So it's a Yerida, you're going back down, for the sake to go even higher up. And that's the deep idea of why we make Kiddush on wine by Abdullah. Because that is an Aliyah. Because we're going down in order so that next Shabbos we're at an even higher level. So the going down itself is really an Aliyah. Now this is a very deep principle. If it was the time of Elul, we would talk about Yeridi Lutzorach Aliyah when it comes to Tshuva, the Gemara, and Yoma, Daf Pei, Vav, Amin Beis says that there's two forms of tshuva. There's tshuva meira and there's tshuva me'ava. And Rish Lakish says, fascinatingly, that tshuva me'ava turns the averos into zechuyos. That the things which brought you down actually now not only get erased, like if you do tshuva meira, but if you do tshuva me'ava, you actually turn the averos into zechuyos. Now what does this mean? So obviously we need a whole shira tshuva to understand what this means. But just very briefly, to give you a little bit of an insight into this concept of Yeridi Latura Chalia, when you do Tshuva Meyava, you not only regret the Avira, but you've become a better person because of the whole process. Meaning, obviously the Avira was terrible and it brought you down, but when you do Tshuva Meyava, you become so much better, you grow so much from the Tshuva process, that you would never do that again. So in a very deep way, you are now actually a better person than when you started, because when you started, you were susceptible to this Avera. But now you're on a much higher level that you hate the Avera, you would never want to do this, you've grown and developed and gained such a deeper insight into the truth, that the very Avera itself disgusts you. And now because you've grown because of the process, the Avera became part of that process, and therefore even though it was the Arida, at the end of the day it turned into an Aliyah. So to understand this in depth, we would need to have a whole shir developing the depth of Tshuva, and what Tshuva means, and how you do Tshuva properly, and different levels of Tshuva. But this is just a brief insight into this deep idea of Yerida Lutzorach Aliyah.
But now let's try to take our ideas a step further. There's a fundamental and very deep idea in Machshava, which is that all the depth and all the truth of life can be found within Lashon HaKodesh itself, within the Hebrew words themselves. So let's ask a very interesting question. There's a whole list of words which represent a lot of different forms of movement and stopping movement, but they also are used in Judaism. So for example, yeshiva, a place where people learn, yeshiva literally means to sit. Amida, the Shemona Esrei, Amida literally means to stand. Halacha, the rules of Jewish life, means to walk. Holech, to go, to walk. So what are all these different concepts? And Shabbos, Sheves means to rest. So what are all of these different terms? So let's start by explaining all of these different principles. For example, walking represents movement. Walking one step after another step, one moment after another moment, a process, a movement. Walking is movement. Running, running is when you're walking faster. It's a movement, but a faster movement. So for example, living life bizrisus, when you're maximizing every moment, you're taking advantage of every opportunity, is running through life. But not rushing, not rushing through life, running, taking advantage, riding the waves of time. Standing represents a pause in movement. It's when you're walking and you stop the process. You stand in place. Sitting is not only do you pause, but you commit to the cessation of movement. You take away the legs, the raglayim, which take you through the world, which help you walk through the world, you sit down. Lying down, however, is a complete commitment to the cessation of movement. It's where you completely stop the process of movement. So now let's try to see if we can use these concepts to apply them to the different terminologies we mentioned previously. The first one is halacha. Halacha, holech, means to walk. Because halacha, the rules of living a Jewish life, the mitzvahs of life is how you walk through this world. It's the guide to walking through a life of growth. It's how you go through the process of life. Halacha is the walking of life. But rutz, which means to run, is taking advantage of time. It's not only do you walk, but you ride the waves of time. You ride the waves of halacha. So it's going bizrisus, it's taking advantage of every moment, of every opportunity. And that's why the root of Eretz is Ratz. This is a very, very deep idea. Let's talk about, very briefly, the relationship between Eretz and Shemayim. The simple understanding of Eretz and Shemayim is heaven and earth. But there's also a much deeper understanding of Eretz and Shemayim. Eretz comes from the root ratz, which means to run. Because Eretz, land, meaning the physical world, represents the place where you can run. A place of process, of movement, where you're running towards destination. Shemayim represents the destination. Shamim literally means there's all of the destinations, all of the endpoints. Shamayim is a place of complete destination. It's where you are there. There's nowhere else to go because you are already there. 
That's why a lot of the Bali Machshava refer to the physical world as Eretz and the spiritual world as Shemayim, because Eretz is the place of movement, it's the place of growth, it's the place of time. That's the physical world, that's Olam Hazet. Shemayim represents the spiritual world, Olam Haba, because that's the place of destination, it's where you're there. There's nowhere else to go, you've already arrived at the destination. That's why Ratz represents Eretz, it's a place where you can take advantage and move through life. When you get to Olam Haba, that's when the process ends. But Olam Haza, Eretz, is a place of movement, of running. Amida, the Shmona Esrei, is where you pause. Because Amida means to stand. It's where you pause the movement, the process of life. So for example, if you stand, that means you've stopped moving, you stopped walking. The Amida is where you take a pause in the middle of your day. Where you're walking, you're running, you're going through your day, and you stop, and you pause. Because the Amida, Shemona Esrei, which we do three times a day, is where you stop the process of life, and you take a moment to source yourself back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You go back to your inner self. You take a time to refocus on destination, refocus on where you're going, and you reconnect with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You reconnect with your source. That's why Amida represents a pause. We can obviously discuss the Amida, discuss tefillah, discuss the depth of tefillah, but just very briefly, one aspect of tefillah is a pause in your day where you reconnect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Yet yeshiva, which translates as sitting, what is a yeshiva? Remember, sitting is where process stops, where you sit down and you commit to the cessation of movement. Why is yeshiva a place where tamidim sit down and learn gemara bi'i and learn bekiyas? They sit down and learn and learn and learn. Why is that sitting? Why is that yeshiva? The deep idea is that Torah lishma is an ends in itself. Remember, sitting is where process towards destination stops. Learning Torah lishma is where process towards a destination stops. Because you are at destination. Learning Torah Lashma is when you learn as an end in itself. You're not trying to get somewhere else. You're not learning so that. The learning is the end itself. Of course we learn in order to do. We learn to keep halacha, to fulfill Hashem's mitzvot. But learning Lashma, a certain higher dimension of learning, is where you are at destination. You've arrived at the end. You are at end point. You're not trying to get somewhere else. And that's the, one of the deepest forms of learning is learning Lishma, where you enjoy it so much that you're not trying to get towards the destination. You are at destination. That's one of the highest forms of learning. Shabbos, Sheves, to sit, to rest. What Shabbos? Shabbos is the same principle where you stop going towards destination because you've arrived at destination. It's a little bit of a taste of arriving at an endpoint where you're there. You enjoy it because you built it. You're there because you built yourself there. Now Shabbos is a time where we focus on destination, where we focus on the goal, we focus on where we're heading in life. Why are we here? What's our purpose? Why were we born? What can we do with our lives? Imagine you're on a train, and you're sitting next to someone, and you ask him, hey, where are you going? And he says, I don't know. I'm just here for the ride. You'd look at him like he's crazy. Who, who goes on a train for the ride? You go because you're trying to get somewhere. Imagine you're in a car driving somewhere, and suddenly you realize that you have no idea where you're going. You've been driving aimlessly and you have absolutely no destination. 
So you'd think that person's crazy. Who would do that? But if you would ask someone, or maybe yourself, where are you going in life? What's your destination? What are you trying to build? Many people would just look at you with blank, starey eyes and have no answer. They would just say, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's amazing. Many people, they wake up, they go to work, they eat, they sleep, and they repeat. If you ask them, what are they looking forward to in life? What are they trying to accomplish? Where are they trying to head towards? They'd say, well, I really like the weekends. I look forward to vacations. So their whole purpose of life is to escape life. They're not trying to build something. I mean, it's really unfortunate. Many people's paradigm of life is you get an education, you get a job, you build a family, you retire, and you die. Where is life in there? What are you constructing? What are you building in there? Why are you here? If you, for example, if you've ever seen someone who's in business, I'm sure at least once a month, perhaps once a week, they have a meeting with everyone in the business and they say, what's our goal? Where are we now? And are we heading towards our goal? And if we're not, how do we fix things? If you're an athlete, you exercise, you have a strict exercise regimen, you have a strict diet, and you sleep a certain amount, and you have goals, and you constantly check yourself, and you see if you are heading towards your goals, and if you're on track, and if you're not on track, you figure out how to get on track, and you figure out how to achieve your goal, because you have goals. But if you ask someone, what's your goal in life? Or what's the goal for your family? What's the goal for your marriage? What's the goal for your relationship with Hashem? What's the goal for your, your wisdom and your knowledge and your understanding of the world? What's your goal? People might shrug their shoulders. They won't know. You have to have a goal. The goal creates the journey. If you have a goal, your life now becomes a journey towards your goal. If you don't have a goal, you're just walking around aimlessly. If you have goals in life, you're drawn towards achieving your goals. If you have goals in learning, then your life becomes a way of fulfilling your goal. Every time you're learning, you're now fulfilling and getting closer and closer to your goal. If you have goals for your relationship, your whole life now becomes a process of building that relationship. When you don't have goals, you can say, yeah, maybe I'll learn, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll build a relationship, maybe I won't. You have to be focused. You have to have a destination because then the process becomes a means towards creating a journey towards that destination. And that's the depth of Shabbos when you focus on destination. I mean, it's amazing. Time literally is dying. Every moment of your life dies. Just think about it for one moment. Where's your past? Where is it? It's gone. Where's the future? It's not here. Where's the present? Constantly feeding away into the past. So where are you? And what's going on? Life is literally just passing before your eyes. But the deep idea is that even though time is passing by, you have to ride the waves of time. You have to be extracting everything you can from each moment, taking advantage of every opportunity. You are what you've actualized from those moments, what you've taken out from those moments, what you become. And that's the depth of memory. Your memories are the aspects of you that you've actualized. All the wisdom you have, all of the moments that you have in memory are the moments of time, the moments of your life that you've made real. Now, what is your memories? What do you remember? What have you built with your life? Time is dying, but you don't have to be dying. You could be growing. You could be developing. You can be riding the waves of time. 
So Shabbos is a time where you exist as the person that you've created, where you enjoy that which you've built. Shabbos can be the most enjoyable time of the week, where you sit back and you realize that you've accomplished so much and you get to enjoy the inner world that you've built. So for people who have developed themselves, tzaddikim, Shabbos is ecstasy, it's so enjoyable. But for people who haven't developed themselves, people who have never really thought about life, people who don't have an inner world, don't have that inner creativity, haven't developed their minds, Shabbos can be very painful. I mean, they've done studies, and it's so sad. There are so many people that don't like themselves, that hate spending time alone. They hate spending time by themselves. They are in dire need of some external stimulus, whether it's someone to talk to, or texting, or watching TV, or doing anything which just gets their mind off of themselves. Because if they were ever alone with themselves and their own thoughts, they would just be so bored and so much pain. They've done studies where they put a person in a room for about 20 minutes, and the only other thing they put in the room was a very, very painful shocking machine, which they placed in the corner. And they told him, you do not have to touch this. We're just going to put it there. And almost everyone they did the study with got so bored and got so overwhelmed with being by themselves that they actually went over to the corner and shocked themselves and put themselves in extreme pain because they would rather do that than just sit alone by themselves. That's crazy. That's so sad. A tzaddik has built such a deep inner world that he loves spending time by himself. The reason why he spends time with others is not because he needs them, it's because he wants to give to them. For example, if you were stuck on an island, most people would go insane. They would be so depressed. But a tzaddik would be in Om Habe. He would have all day to think and contemplate Akash Baruch Hu and learn and develop himself and develop his mind. He'd have a bunch of things to do. But his pain would come from the fact that he wasn't able to give to others. The fact that he doesn't have other people there doesn't mean that he's going to be depressed or sad or have nothing to do. It's just that he's not able to share his wisdom with other people, not able to give himself to other people. Someone who's really developed himself loves to be alone, loves to think. Of course relationships are essential, building relationships, but you're not dependent on other people for your own enjoyment. You're not dependent on other people for your sanity. You only spend time with other people because you enjoy giving and helping and contributing and building deep relationships. But people who are dependent, who can't sit alone by themselves, that's because they don't have an inner world to enjoy. So Shabbos can be very painful for such a person. There are a lot less ways to find distractions on Shabbos. For example, why are people so scared of the dark? Why are people so scared of the dark? Now, this isn't as relevant nowadays because we don't really have real darkness in the Western world. I mean, if you go to Africa, let's say in the bush, or if you go to certain unpopulated places in America, you can get a place where you have absolute darkness, where you can't even see your own hand in front of your face, where you're in absolute darkness. Now, why is that so scary? Because you doubt whether or not you even exist. You don't have any external references. You can't see anything outside of yourself, and you're completely isolated. You're completely alone. You have nothing else. All you have is your own thoughts. 
But for someone who hasn't built an inner world, he has nothing. Because all he has is external stimulus. If he doesn't have external stimulus, he's lost. He's empty. But someone who has an internal world, someone who has created a, a creative mind, a developed mind, a structured mind, who understands, who has a certain clarity and has a certain depth in his thinking, even if there's no external stimulus, he still has a whole inner world. So darkness is the most depressing and scary reality for someone who only lives in an outside world, who lives based on external reference, external stimulus. But a person who has an inner world, darkness serves no threat at all, because that person has a vibrant inner life. So we have to take a step back and think about goals. We have to think about destination. How do you do this? How do you make this real? You have to take a moment of inspiration and actualize it. It's not enough to be inspired. What you have to do is you have to go to a room by yourself and ask yourself the big questions. Who am I? Who am I really? What am I becoming? What do I want with my life? What do I want to become? What are my goals? What's my destination? And build a vision for yourself. Build a larger vision and create a destination. Because that destination will create a journey and a life that takes you towards that destination. But you have to start asking yourself, who am I? You have to start getting self-awareness. Start developing an understanding of who you are. What's driving you? A person's life changes when he starts asking himself, why do I do what I do? Why do I eat what I eat? Why do I have the friends that I have? Have I chosen them? Are they helping me in life? Are they helping me grow? Do they talk about important things? Are we building something great together? What about the things that I do in my spare time? What are my hobbies? Why do I have those hobbies? Are they helping me? What about my habits? Do I have good habits? Bad habits? Start asking yourself, who am I? Why do I do what I do? And how can I create a life that will help me become the person that I know I'm meant to be. So what should you do on Shabbos? What should Shabbos be like for you? First of all, Shabbos is a time where you enjoy everything you've built. Everything you've built that week and everything you've built in your life, the person that you've become, the midos you've developed, the mind you've constructed, the knowledge you've learned. Everything you are, you can enjoy it, reflect, look back and say, wow, look how much I accomplished. But reflection has two components. Number one, you get to enjoy what you've built. But number two, you have to ask yourself important questions, such as, what might I have messed up on a little bit this week? What could I improve on? Have I really been working on self-control? Have I been working on, let's say I'm on a diet, have I been doing it correctly? Have I been developing my relationships? Have I been developing my mind and my midos? Have I been building myself correctly? And then you ask yourself, if I haven't been succeeding as well as I would like to, how can I recalibrate and refocus myself so that I head towards my destination? So Shabbos is a time where you enjoy, but you reflect so that you know that you're heading towards your goal. Where am I now? Where am I heading? What's my goal, my destination? And how do I get there? But there's one last very important thing to understand, which is that there is a way to corrupt Shabbos, which is trying to experience Shabbos during the week. Remember, Shabbos is a time where you experience what you built. The week is where you build and construct yourself. Shabbos is a taste of the ultimate destination, but so that you go back into the week and grow and develop. 
But a corruption of Shabbos would be where even during the week you try to just experience endpoint. You try to experience enjoyment as opposed to building and developing yourself. It's where you'd theoretically try to escape the work, to escape the process and just try to enjoy the cessation of process. So, for example, watching TV and movies, alcohol, drugs, meaningless conversations, playing meaningless games just to pass the time, all of these things are meant to take you away from a life of process, a life of work and development. They're meant to take you into a state of escape where you're not working, you're not developing yourself, you're not building yourself. But that's not the goal of the week and that's not the goal of life. It's not to escape. It's to build, it's to construct, it's to become, it's to grow, it's to become godly. That's our purpose in life, that's our journey in life. Now, just as a side point, TV isn't inherently bad. It's just used so inappropriately. The concept of motion picture is not inherently evil. But it's just used inappropriately. Besides for the immoral content and the violence which creates a tremendous amount of insensitivity... The medium of TV is designed, the way that they've used it, is designed to make you passive. It's designed so that you just sit there and just receive stimulus. At least when you read a book, you have to create the imaginary world. You have to use your imagination and your creativity. But in TV, it's all just given to you and you turn into a zombie. You just sit there for hours and they just feed it to you. There could be programs which help you learn and develop. So motion picture, the concept of motion picture, could be used for educational purposes in tremendous ways. But the purpose of life is not to exist. It's not to be. The purpose is to become. We live in a world of process. We live in a world of growth. And Shabbos is me'en olam haba. Because Shabbos represents a taste of ultimate destination. But the week represents where we go back down into the world and become. We go back and we grow. So, so far we've developed the depth of perception, how we have to realize how great we're capable of becoming. We've delved into the concept of Olam Haba and why we were created and why we're here and what we're meant to become. We're meant to become godly. And now we've developed the concept of Shabbos which is a gift that Kaddish Baruch Hu gave us, which is the ability to taste or experience just a little bit of Olam Haba, just a little bit of a taste, so that we're inspired and we go back into the week and build ourselves. And the Ezra Hashem will continue with next year where we develop the deep principle of what potential means and what it means to actualize potential and these deep, deep, deep Machshava concepts.